Welcome to the Jew and Gentile Podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one, the only, Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I am doing great, Chris, and we are so excited today. One of our seven listeners gave us gifts. Oh, we've got gifts. We've got gifts, and we have a guest. We have a guest. Gifts and guests. We need another G. God. (laughs) Gifts, guests, and God. We've got it all. That's our show for you right there. Gifts, guests, and God. Hey, listen, we've got a lot to share with you because our guests have been so kind to us. But before we get there, hang on. Welcome in, welcome in. Well, it's the Christmas season. It's the Hanukkah season. And so gifts have been pouring in, Steve. Chris, we, while you were away, I forgot where you were. I was at Word of Life you teaching. You were at Word of Life I was teaching. About Hanukkah. You were teaching about Hanukkah. And I got this box, a giant box. And uh, Aaron delivered it to us. I opened the box. It says, Dear Steve and Chris. And so it starts off very nice. That's right. This is good. Here are some gifts. <laughs> For both of you to celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas, enjoy three explanation points. Oh, my goodness. Sincerely, your one millionth, even though we only have seven, but our one millionth listener, Karen Sanborn. Karen, Karen, so so what did she send? First, I opened up the box. I'm not yelling. Am I yelling right now? I'm not yelling. I'm Jewish. I'm not yelling. I'm Jewish. So I got my water here. Then she sent. Wait, we'll show that into the camera. Oh, I'm sorry. So then, our, yeah. there you go. There you go. I'm not yelling. I'm Jewish. I even had to call you up on FaceTime to make sure you saw what was sent. And then, Chris, this the is my favorite Jewish one. Wisdom ball. Yeah, it's the it's the magic eight ball. <laughs> the, but it has a high on the front of it. That's right. So Chris, Chris said, "Oh, that's my." So tell him what this does. All Chris. right. So you know, normally when you were a kid growing up, you got the magic eight ball and you were able to kind of shake it around and ask it a question. Like it well, has to be a yes or I think a yes yeah, or no question. Will I do good on, on my test? And it will say yes or something. All well, right. Will he do good on his test? Yeah, let's well, see what here, it let's says. See. So you you shake it. If only that's the answer that comes up or, or how about that? Will my, will my wife like the gift that I get her for Christmas? Let's shake it up and see what it says. This is fat. <laughs> um, and she's, it's right. It's prophetic. <laughs> fat. Who, who needs it? This is the greatest gift of but all wasn't time. Right Karen here. nice. She, she's prone to hyperbole. Just, just a little, yeah. one million, one million, even though there's seven. Uh, what are you gonna do? Well, listen, Karen also sent me. No, no, that the one you're holding, Alice sent you. No, no, no I was gonna go to this oh, one. This one. This okay. one. Karen uh, also sent me uh, the most amazing. I don't think anything like this exists uh, outside of this one. He's gonna be flipping burgers. It's a chef's apron, but it's got Theodore Herzl embedded all over it it's this it's theodore herzl's face from basil look at the that. brother separated by time that's <laughs> our beard we're bearded brothers that's what it is my spirit animal and then she even got me this beautiful card uh with uh, theodore herzl on here it's just an amazing Chris, amazing this gift. is somebody sent us nice stuff yeah the, very nice karen I you're um if you're listening you're amazing thank you so much and so now we've got uh, we had socks that came in earlier and then all my socks are gone. No, they're not. They're right behind you. Oh yeah. Here they are. Somebody sent you those socks. That's right. Um, and then, then Alice, uh, Herzig, Steve's wife got me this Theodore Herzl shirt. Look at this. Isn't that amazing From piece of history From behind me are the little, uh, figures all dead. Mind you, they don't make lot people who are alive, but, uh, she bought you a shirt because I commented how you're uh, like the brother that Theodore never had. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, uh, we were saying it's uh, gifts. I almost feel like we're getting gelt, you know, we, which we another got G. It. We got gelt. We got gelt. <laughs> Compliments of Alice Herzog. There we go. We got gelt. And Chris, I did tell you about dreidels, yes. mind you. I did tell you. Now, I don't know if it can uh, make it on the camera, but... Uh, Hopefully, maybe the mic will pick it up. Do you well, think let's it go will? Go ahead, try it. All right. Let's see. If, let's see if we can get it to. There you go. It's a, it's the dreidel. It looks great. Nobody can see it, though, but okay. they can hear it. All right. Steve always comes with exciting stuff for Hanukkah because it's also for his grandkids. Yeah, that's right. Now, tell us why do we have a dreidel in the first place? 
Well, the dreidel tells the story. It's it's a part of the Hanukkah tradition. That's right. There's letters on it, and it stands for sentence. And our guest. Oh, here we, we go. Our other G. Yeah, that's right. Go ahead. Uh, and she's on. Go ahead. Uh, give her some music or something. Oh, okay. Well, let's see if we can get some music give going her here. Give her something. There we go. Oh, wait, here we go. There we go. We've got our music. All right. Steve, introduce our guest. Our special Israeli guest who guided us while I was directing Canada and took trips to Israel from Canada, Vered. Vered. How are hey, you, Vered? I'm very good. Thank you. Very good. nice to be here. Oh, this is She's fantastic. so soft-spoken, so quiet. I know. How do you lead tours of people around and yet, I'm assuming that you've you got to, you know, the chutzpah to get them moving here and there. You oh, know, I've got the chutzpah. Oh, still. she's yes. got the chutzpah. Yes. She's got the yeah. chutzpah. And also we have headphones, so I don't have to scream. <laughs> that's true. But that's all new, though. In the yeah. past, you had to scream to get people's attention, right? That's right. Well, I figure if I speak quietly, they have to listen. If I yell, <laughs> nobody listens when you let yell. Well, Vered, this is the first time you and I have met in person, but I know that Steve and Alice Herzig have only ever uh, spoken so very highly of you uh as number one, an individual, but number two, as a tour guide, they just come back from these tours and talk about how fantastic you are. So it's great to have you, not only to meet you, but to have you on our podcast as well, as our other G, our guest. That's thank right. Thank you very Who, much. You are like a gift from God as our guest. So thank you very much, the Triple G. And I'm honored to be uh, with your three Gs near God. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bit, uh, big steps next to me. I love it. Well, um, Vered, why don't you give us an update? You've been, you're actually traveling around giving lectures right now. You're normally, prior to October 7th, you were leading tours. And then that all, I'm sure, came to an abrupt In halt. fact, start from there. October 6th and 7th, she was guiding. You so were, take us from, Oh, you were on a tour at that yeah. time. Yes. Take us from there. Yeah, so that morning when the war started, it's Saturday morning, and I was with a Christian group from South Africa in Tiberias, and... I got an email from somebody telling me, hope the day continue better than it started. Hmm. I, I had no idea something bad already happened that morning. It was seven in the morning when I got that email. So I looked in and I saw what was going on in the South. And at first, because there was so many operation prior to this one, since uh, the engagement with uh, Gaza, that I thought it one more thing because it was just an hour that it started. And then I realized something big is going on. And I contacted the travel agents and I was trying to find out what am I going to do with the tourists today? Though I'm in Tiberias, so I'm not where the fighting is, but Israel is so small that you never know mm -hmm. how it's going to develop. And they said, do not get them out of the hotel. Stay put at the hotel. And those people, People, they came from a small village in the middle of nowhere in South Africa. So I had to sit them down and explain to them what's going on. This is a were, trip of a lifetime for yeah, them. It's people and now who it's, saved how money. many days were you into the trip? We were on the sixth, full sixth day. We were starting the seventh day, which was the last day of touring. And that was going to be the most special day because we were around the Sea of Galilee, J Jesus' ministry in the Galilee. That mm -hmm. was the only thing that we had left on our itinerary. And now we weren't doing that and we were sitting in a hotel, but in Tiberias, you didn't feel the war. There was no siren, there was no airplanes, there was no feel of a war. And, but I'm scaring them with my stories. And we passed the day over there, they were terrified, and then we realized we can't fly them out of the country the next day because the airlines were just filling up and leaving the country and mm -hmm. they had to go back to South Africa. So I ended up taking them to the border with Jordan. So they crossed to Jordan to fly out home from Jordan. It took three days before they left. And when I managed to say goodbye to them, I had to catch the, the tour bus into Jerusalem. And when we arrived in Jerusalem, the bus driver who was a Palestinian, which I worked with him before, and we were always getting along. But somehow when a war starts, you are forced to choose a side. Mm. So I asked him to take me to the central bus station because I was afraid to be in the streets of Jerusalem because when we got to Jerusalem, it was empty. Like Not a ghost a, town. A ghost town. What was, there, what was your drive like with him from, from um, the border to not, Jerusalem? Not pleasant. It really? wasn't pleasant. Uh, he lives in Jerusalem. In fact, he lived in the city of David, in Siluan. And, um, and that's a tense area. It can be tense. Always yeah, a tense yeah. area. Yeah, so... 
though we got along in all the tours we did together, it's just you are forced to choose a side, mm-hmm. especially that this guy who was born into the country and he have now grandchildren, but his grandchildren lives in Bethlehem. So his grandchildren are, you know. That's in Judea, Samaria, the West yeah. Bank. Yeah, they are Palestinian. They're Palestinian. Yep, 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 that's Palestinian control. So you have to choose a side. You can't stay neutral where you're in Israel. It just doesn't work like that. And, and you're as, right, too, because Bethlehem canceled the Christmas, you know. They canceled Christmas. They canceled I Christmas. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, they canceled the whole thing. And they decorated it with rocket and rocket bits, a shrapnel, and they that was their in, decoration in, in honor, Bethlehem. In, uh, to, to honor what That's was going so on. Sad. It's, it's very, very sad. sad. It's, it's very terrible. sad. Yeah. But it's you terrible. know that the percentage of the population in Bethlehem that is Christian is what is a few percent. Yeah. yeah. Like yep. nine. Yeah. And so we got to Jerusalem and he refused to take me to the central bus station. We got into the city and he says, you're getting off in here. And I said, why are you dropping me in here? There's nobody in here. It's scary. And he says, just get off the bus. You're kidding. Yeah. With my suitcase, I got off the bus and a minute later there's a siren and I'm in a huge junction with nowhere to hide with a suitcase and next to the array, uh, to the tram, there was uh, like metal buildings. It's not even a building. It's a, bu- a bus stop. And there was a security guy in there and says, come over, come over. So we're all laying on the asphalt next to the metal bus stop in order to be safe from the rockets. And then we hear the interception, the bombs. But we hear that it's further from us. You still feel the echo on your body, but it's not close enough. And... It's a very shocking mo- moment because you are safe. Yes. But it's close enough that you know somebody else Somebody's is not, not safe. safe. Yes. And that's how com- um, com- complicated it is because every time that it's not you, you're happy. But at the same moment, you know, this is not the case for somebody else. So then after this was finished, we got up from the floor and I'm stuck in Jerusalem now. I need to get home. I live closer to the airport. I called this taxi driver, Nisim. Nisim means miracles. Nisim <laughs> took me to uh, uh, a wedding. A wedding. Yeah. That oh, was uh, the Schweig's uh, son got married. And when I was there, I took a uh, taxi that Vered arranged from uh, Jerusalem to Tel Aviv and then back. He waited for me. What what kind of services? He waited. For, I went to the wedding, had fun, uh, come back. Nisim's there and he takes me back. Oh, so, And his name means miracle? Miracle. It was uh, a miracle. <laughs> it was amazing. a miracle. He was in Jerusalem the first day. Uh, it's the second day of the war now. And he says, what are you doing in Jerusalem, you crazy woman? And I says, don't worry <laughs> about that. Come pick me up. And he came. He drove on the wrong side of the road because he couldn't get to where I was at the tram. And of course, there was nobody on the road, but still. And then he picks me up and his wife calls and says, Nisim, come home. There are rockets in Jerusalem. And he says, yes, but I have to pick up Vered. She <laughs> says, okay, just pick up Vered and leave the city. <laughs> and as long as I was with the tourists, I had responsibility. So I wasn't thinking of myself. But when mm. I got home and now there's sirens, I have to stock my house with supplies and all of that, then you... St- the reality dawned on you. you. Yep. As long as you're in control, you're in, in charge, you have to worry of somebody else, you're just worried about the somebody else. But when you get home, it's totally different because then there's not much for me to do. Obviously, I've lost my job once again. Mm, yeah, after the and, pandemic. Yeah, and now I am watching the news too many hours a day. My, my town show I'm lost at the first two days of the war, three young soldiers. There's already funerals. Two of them were buried in the same cemetery one hour after the hour. Mm. So you go to to a cemetery, you go to um, uh, a funeral of people you don't know, but they're like your children because they grew up with your children. And that, of course, does not add anything to the morale as, as long as you see what's going on about the Nova Party and all of that. So it's just so depressing. And every time my daughters are... One is in the army, the other one immediately was called to reserve. Every time that there's rockets where they are, you, te- mm. you text to see that they're okay. The level of fear is so, so high. And on top of that, people that know me from North America, from work, keep sending messages. So even if I miss the rocket, I know about it from people asking, how am I doing? But isn't that wonderful that we have the technology and they know you and they... 
They are concerned. They want to know how you're doing. It's amazing that so many people are concerned. The problem with that is that when they text me at two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, yeah. and, I'm tr- and I'm trying to get some kind of peace, because when you go to sleep at night, you're thinking, how long am I going to be in bed before the next time I need to or the next to siren the, goes off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, am I going to get this shower in peace? Or am I going to need to stop the shower? And I'm lucky enough that the safe room is inside my house. Mm. But that first night in Tiberias, I knew that the bomb shelter is four floors downstairs. So I was thinking, would I tell the tourists where the bomb shelter is? I'm going to scare them even more. I just hope that nothing happens. That's what I did. I haven't told them. I took that on me for not telling them where the bomb shelter, because they'll have to get dressed, put their shoes on, and run down the stairs to the bomb shelter. So with, the, with those tour guides that you had that came from South Africa, they had to stay an extra three days before they could get out. Were they staying at that same hotel the whole time? No, they in went to Jordan. They well, stayed in Israel an extra day, because uh-huh. we, and they were going to leave the next day, but of course we couldn't hunt. So the travel agency ended up paying for another night in the hotel in Tiberias. Gotcha. And then they end up staying two more nights in Jordan in Amman before they manage to get flights from Amman aye, back home. Aye, aye. And crazy. you're talking about people that saved money to come yep. to Israel all their life. And now I had to tell them that it will cost for the uh, for the additional bus, guide in Jordan and hotel, $550. You know, we would have managed to take it whether we like it or not, but for them... Where are they going to come up with $550 if they are collecting $20 every three months to put mm. into their tour? Mm. So that was uh, scary and challenging. And Well, yeah. we're going to have more opportunity to talk to Vered, but I want to start. I want to give you a test, Chris. Okay. And, and I already gave it to Vered. And, uh, I failed. I failed, too. I gave <laughs> it to you. You already. did, and I failed. I was going to say right. I already failed the test. That's right. You already failed. So let's... Let, Unless let you re- want to let me fail again, no, that's fine. No, no. Well, we're, we'll we'll tell the listeners how we guessed. You and I guessed the yeah, same thing. Yeah, that's a good idea. We'll, yeah. we'll reveal our answers. Okay, so <laughs> let me read this. And here's the quote. Mm-hmm. We didn't take a foreign land, and we didn't I- exit on the spoils of other nations, but on the lands of our fathers that through the years was illegally seized by our enemies. We, when we had the opportunity... Restored our birthright. The person who said that, I said, oh, David Ben-Gurion, the guy right behind you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Standing uh, on his standing head. Standing on his head. You said David Ben-Gurion. David Ben-Gurion. Vered, you said. Golda. She's, and Golda is good for a quote. Yeah, she is good a for a quote. Very good for a quote. But the survey says Simon Maccabee. That's amazing. 21 Hundred years ago, it reads like today. It comes from First Maccabees chapter fourteen, verses thirty-three to thirty-four. Now, Chris, you and I, uh, as we relate to the scriptures, know that this is extra biblical. Mm-hmm. It's part of the apocrypha, uh, historical books. Um, but nonetheless, we just heard Vered describe just a small part of Israeli modern Israel's history. Now, October seventh will be a category just by itself. But I just read you something that happened 2,100 years ago, and it reads as though Bibi could have said that. Mm -hmm. Certainly Golda could have said it. Ben-Gurion could have said it. Even though it happened, we're celebrating Hanukkah. We're in the sixth day. Tonight's the seventh night. It's almost over. We got our dreidels. We got our gelt. We're reminded your, your your Hanukkah back there. I think the battery died because we left it going. I, I left it on. Yeah. It, it, did the battery die? I think the battery eh. did die. Hey, speaking of which, Vered, yeah, you're I, right. Maybe you can answer this question because we got a we got a um uh, somebody who texted our listener line at um four two four 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 nineteen forty eight um and uh they asked a question. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh. Let's see. The question has to do with the number of, uh, of what do they call that, on the candelabra, the number of candles on the candelabra. And uh, so I said that we would answer this, uh, but it has to do, oh, here it is right here. Why do some menorahs have seven candles and some have nine candles? Well, before she answers it, I want her to answer it, but before she does, I had a person on my trip about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 
who said, Steve, I, I want to buy my dad a gift. And I got two, two of these things. <laughs> one has nine and one has seven. He said, I'm inclined to go with the nine since there's two more than the seven. <laughs> so, so tell me. What what am I looking what at? What am I getting here? myself uh, into? You know, do I go by price? Do I go by two extra <laughs> candle holders? What's the deal here? So go All ahead, right. Verrett. Tell us what the deal is. Okay, so there's actually two different names. The one we light in Hanukkah is called Hanukkiah. Mm. Hanukkiah. That's right. Mm-hmm. And the one with the seven is Menorah, which is the symbol of the state of Israel. So the menorah is the one that was in the temple at the time. That's that, right. That's what when the priests would go in into the, the sanctuary. That's they, right. That's where they would go and light the menorah. That's right. Because but then seven there, days of creation. That's right. And all of those candles are very important on the seven. Where on the nine, that one's specifically for Hanukkah, and it's really only the eight candles that are. This is what I learned a couple right. days ago. They are holy. The center one, shamash, shamash candle. That center one is actually a com- that somebody was telling me that's a common candle used for everyday use, which lights the holy it's candles. It's the servant candle. The servant candle, which is significant, Chris. Really significant, according to the rabbis. Uh, so this is what the rabbis say: you cannot light the any of the eight candles with a match or a lighter or whatever you're going to use. Can't do it. It has to be the servant candle. So Hanukkah occurs on the 25th of Kislev. In fact, the day that uh, Antiochus requ- de- uh, took the pig and killed it on the altar, the 25th of Kislev, 168 BC, for our Jewish friends, BCE, before the Common Era. Three years later, they rededicate the temple, they capture the temple. Uh, so the servant candle from the story of the oil, and there's debate about that. The servant candle is the only one that could light the other candles. That's why there's nine. And Jesus said, what did Jesus say? He came to serve Mm -hmm. and he's the light of the world. Uh, Maybe your kids saying, my kids saying when they attended uh, VBS and Sunday school, this little light of mine, hundred percent, where did we get our light to shine? From the servant candle. Hmm. We can't have our own light. There's no light in us. We, we want to be lit up. Oh, God, light me up. He does light us up through the servant, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus That's Christ. That's amazing. So I think we answered the question pretty successfully, and it really well, helps. the three of us. Well, it took two Jews and a Gentile well, to do it. And I just asked questions. That's you know? right. So there we go. That's good. Uh, anything else you want to add on that? It's funny what uh, Steve, you said, because I was going to add that the shamash is the servant, is the worker, but without the worker, the other candles is not going to be lit. So servant or not servant, without him, we can't show our light. And if we can show our light, we can show our kindness and we can't let other people show their kindness. So it's not just the servant. The servant is everything. Everything. That's right. Everything. That's exactly right. Exactly um, right. I just want to say, too, Karen is watching right now who gave us the gifts, and she says, you are welcome for your gifts. You're one millionth listener. She is, she <laughs> is sticking de- by it. She is determined. Thank she, you, Karen. You're amazing. All right, amazing. Chris, I have another survey for you. Okay, good. Here we go. All right. This is, we're leaving Hanukkah since we've been talking about Jesus. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. We already talked about, unfortunately. They canceled it. They Get a news item. <laughs> Christmas is canceled. Cancel Christmas. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I found this survey, Chris, uh, and the survey is the most popular Christmas song in your state. Oh, so I like this, this is only for the United States. So uh, th- I got it on the internet, so it has to be true, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Did you get it from one of those forwarded emails that your no, mom no, sent you I or something? Searched. <laughs> I searched. I wanted to know what. And by the way, there's also. You looked up that question. You I, said, I, I want to know what the most popular Christmas songs are in a state. Yep. Oh. And then I looked up the 10 most annoying. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Well, okay. I'll give you the 10 most annoying. Okay. And let's, I'll just give a, where is. Uh, hey, I can't even look at this thing. Where's Karen from? Do we know where Karen is from? 
uh, the one who gave us the gift. She's from California. Okay, so I'll look up California. Karen, thank you again for your gracious gifts to us. California, it's beginning to look a lot like That's Christmas. the most annoying. Yeah. No, you have the most annoying. Oh, oh, oh. This is the number one. Oh, this is, okay, sounds for good. For every state. So it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Now, Chris, you live in New Jersey, right? Yep. All I want for Christmas is you. Aye, the Mariah Carey <laughs> rendition. I can't take it. Aye, I probably turned off. Now there's two listeners. Five just said, Aye, if this guy's well. singing, we're in trouble. <laughs> All right. Well, I wish I could read the top 10 most annoying Christmas songs, but look, it's blocked out by an oh, ad. Oh, it got blocked. So you read another one. All right. Give me a oh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, right? yeah, that's where you're from. I live in Pennsylvania, and it is All I Want for Christmas is You. Okay, give us, is there one that stands out where you go, oh, look at that, look How at this about state. Santa Claus is coming to town, New Hampshire. Okay. Deck the Halls, Nebraska. Jingle Bell Rock, Nevada. How about, how about <laughs> Christmas, baby, please come home. Rhode Island. <laughs> what is that saying to people? I do not know. Uh, South Dakota, Deck the Halls. Tennessee. Uh, Elvis Presley, I want a blue Christmas, a blue Christmas, Maine, white Christmas, Louisiana, run Rudolph, run. <laughs> all right. Did you find well, the 10? I didn't find it, but I will tell you this. Um, uh, wait, maybe this is it. 10 most here. I here. I think I found it. Okay. Yeah, this is it. This is it. 10 most annoying. I, I bet you there are some that are annoying that are. Wait, can you read favorite. read the New Jersey one again for, the, for the, Jer- the most popular New Jersey? This is the most popular. All I want for Christmas is you. Number one most annoying Christmas song is All I Want for Christmas is You. <laughs> no, New Jersey people are annoying. Yeah, 100%. I'm one of them, so I know what that means. All right, the Chipmunk song is number two. This one, oh, this is funny. Feliz Navidad. Is oh, a- that's like the favorite on several of them. I can't. Which ones is Feliz uh, Navidad? Feliz, where is it? Where is it? I know I... Baby, It's Cold Outside. Deck the Halls. Happy uh Christmas War is Over by John Lennon, White Christmas, Wonderful Christmas Time, and Do You Hear What I Hear uh, are all, oh, and A Holly Jolly Christmas are the top 10 most annoying. annoying. Texas is Feliz Navidad. Okay. Texas. You went to school in Texas. That, that sounds about right. Do you have a favorite Christmas song? I turn, honestly, I turn on our local station. When I was living in Chicago, I did it too. I'm, I'm the Jewish guy. But as soon as Thanksgiving comes... There's always a dedicated station that plays nothing but Christmas music. Now, my wife and I, my wife grew up in a Christian home. And for her, if you say Christmas songs, she's thinking of hymns. Hymns, yeah. She's the spiritual. Park the Herald, yeah. She is everything. Any Christmas song from the hymn, she's in. Well, of course, the Christmas songs that are played on the radio are, I taught my grandkids I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great song, and they know it by heart. Uh, and they sing it. Well, that drives her crazy. But I. What's your favorite, though? I don't have a. Whatever is playing at the current moment you like is that what one. I'm in. Verrett, do they do Christmas songs in Israel? Do you guys get any Hanukkah Christmas songs? Do they do Hanukkah songs? Of course, we do, we do Hanukkah songs. But we, you got to no, kiss your mic. You're moving away. There's no Christmas songs. They don't there's do Christmas plenty songs. Plenty of Hanukkah songs. They're a little different than your songs, though. Um, I think a lot of the songs here in North America have like some Yiddish in them and also yeah. we saw different kind of <laughs> Did you customs. notice how she said that they have some Yiddish? Yiddish in because them. Yiddish is very far from us, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. If you're not an Orthodox Jew, you have nothing to do with Yiddish. And mm-hmm. when you come in here, there's a little bit more Yiddish. In fact, I guided a Jewish school from, from uh, Montreal and the kids spoke Yiddish. They didn't speak Hebrew. Really? They were taught in school, you know, they spoke English and French, but they also knew Yiddish. Well, so. you know why that is? Do you know why that is? Okay, well, I, maybe I can even help a guide. That might be the first you're time like, in my life. You're like a guide right now. Ay, ay, ay. Yiddish is not Hebrew, and Hebrew is the language of the Torah. Mm-hmm. It's That's a holy right. language. It's the same reason that... Uh, very orthodox Jews, when they write God, they write G-D, because the name, of, the name of God is so holy that if you put the full name there, then you can't throw it away, you can't crumple the paper, you can't erase it. And so 
all the ultra-Orthodox speak Yiddish because it's a common language. It's not the holy language that should only be associated with holy things. Mm-hmm. And that's why they speak Well, that's Yiddish. true. That's um, why uh, the, the Orthodox Jew will not speak Hebrew. They will speak English or Yiddish or the country of their origin, but they think that using the Hebrew language, even though it's a restored language, it's just based on the biblical alphabet, is... Um, disgracing exactly. the Bible. Well, and that exactly. was actually a big deal when they were trying to determine in Israel what language That's they would right. use. The Orthodox were saying, don't you dare, th- mm-hmm. you know, secularize the That's biblical big. language. Yeah, it was That's a big, big, big deal. The principle, you know, oftentimes we talk about believers and people who don't believe and blindness and all that. But, you know, no matter what group you're from, you can always learn something uh, from them. So we, we look at the Orthodox Jews, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, and we sometimes categorize them into the Jews of the New Testament who gave Jesus a hard time. They were very religious, very legalistic, and we can learn a lot from them. Uh, and we can be critical of them. Mm. F- fair enough. But when it comes to separation and how we view holy things and and how we view God, I think it's a good thing for us to at least pay attention to uh, where they're coming from because it could be helpful to us. I think I told you, Chris, uh, it took me a long time. When I uh, would have a Bible uh, and I put it down, uh, I saw people in church take their Bible and take a glass or cup, a mug, and put it on top of their Bible, or I saw them take their Bible, and when they were coming near the pew of the church, they kind of toss. Chris, if we tossed a, uh, a chumash, which is the five books of Moses, if we tossed that and a rabbi saw us, we'd have to fast. Mm. You had to fast for 40 days. <laughs> you, could, you could eat at night, but you have to fast for 40 days. You can't drop God's word. You can't. I saw the first Christian when I, in 1975. I saw the first Christian with their Bible underlined, highlighted with yellow and blue. I said, "What is going on here? You can't put a pen to why? Because the idea is this is holy." Yeah. So I'm not saying. Look, you can see my Bible. I mark it up now, etc. But the principle to pay attention, I think, is a is a marvelous one and calls us to attention and say, you know, dealing with God, you're dealing with a holy person. What happened anytime anybody came into the presence of an angel of yeah. God? Boom, they were on the ground. Yep. You know, I also, it's funny, you talk about the Yiddish component. Um, in, in Christmas music, Jewish people have had an incredible influence in, in American Christmas music, like White, White Christmas, Christmas by oh, Irving yeah. Berlin, <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all of these songs that m- I grew up singing and my kids sing. The uh, Abrahamic Covenant. That's right. I, we will be a blessing to all. <laughs> that's right. So, and he is. He, he, he is. A Jewish guy, uh, Irving Berlin, wrote the Christmas songs that we sing but today. the thing is that those Jews live in America, so they're exposed to that culture. Right. We don't have a Christmas culture. And in fact, during COVID, when I had no work, I took my my uh, friends from yoga on a Christmas tour. You did? And I've, uh, yeah, I've I've given them a Nazareth Christmas tour and, and Jerusalem Christmas tour. And one of the things I found out that was very odd for me, because for me, Santa Claus is, is part of Christmas, though. It's not part of Christmas story. Mm-hmm. And I found out, for instance, that the colors of Santa Claus, red and white, is coming because Coca-Cola merchandised it. No, really? <laughs> <laughs> so all those things that you... Look, we just learned from life. an Israeli about Santa Claus. <laughs> That's right, I love so, it. So, so many things that are just customs for you. I had to research them. Or oh, um, Christmas tree. Christmas trees still have nothing to do with Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. Christmas tree is a a Scandinavian holiday to tell the people, hang on, the winter is is finishing and you can see the bloom of the tree soon. And look what happened to that tree. It became in your in your Christmas holiday because Christmas holiday, the dates for Christmas holiday come from this Scandinavian holiday. Yes. Oh, so, no, listen, I have to tell you, at Friends of Israel, uh, you know, 
we all we have Christians that celebrate Christmas all over the place, but I don't know about you. I always get sometimes people slap my hand. I can't believe you celebrate that pagan holiday, and I, I understand. You know, uh, it's just a part it's of the controversial. Yeah, it is. It, it's a part of you the tradition. Get of, to thank the Jewish people for that too. <laughs> it's controversial. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus's birth is controversial. That's right. Let's say what. Uh, Should I celebrate Christmas? What am I, a psychic? (laughs) (laughs) All right, All right, Chris, before we go to the word, uh, this isn't news, but I found this fascinating. For those people who have been following the war, uh, if you have seen the IDF soldiers, they have these helmets that have this netting on their heads, and it looks crazy. Uh, my father served in World War II. My son was in the Air Force. Uh, uh, what, regardless of what um, military branch you're in, they're always wearing some sort of head covering, protective covering. World War II was a metal helmet. It had a liner in it. My father used to tell me, you, know, you took the liner out and did all the things you needed to do with that. And then put. you could cook on it. You could do all kinds of different things. And then you put the liner back in. But here I see the IDF guys. And they got this netting on, and I, I'm always wondered what is that for? It makes they're actually some people have called it a clown hat. This is the IDF, a clown hat. So I looked up. I went and looked it up. Of course, everything's on the internet. And Israeli troops chef's hat. It's a chef's. Hat. That's what in parentheses or in quotation marks. Chef's hat helmet. They explain it to you, and I showed it to you, Chris. Do you remember why they have it that way? Uh, I no, I want you to read it to me. Okay. I'll, well, I'll tell you. It's first of all, it's now, Fred. You could uh, correct my Hebrew. M i t z n e f e at metznefet. 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 is the covering uh, for it. But according to this, the exact origins are kind of murky. The IDF units were known to create their own chef's hats prior to the mid-90s, often cut from equipment, concealment, netting, and two-piece mesh over suits sported by reconnaissance and sniper units. But Chris, on one side, it, it could be great camouflage for deserts. And on the other side, you can flip it, and then it becomes great camouflage if you're in a wooded area. Amazing. And so... They have, from a drone, for instance, the idea of looking down at those helmets, uh, they can't see it as well. So not every IDF person has one, but many of them do. And I found that fascinating that they actually got it from the temple. That's amazing to me. The high priest. So once again, any military, uh, they're using them in the U.S. sometimes, in Poland, and uh, other places, where'd you get it? From us, the high priest. <laughs> the high priest. So those chefs had. If you, if uh, when you look online to get the explanations, they will have pictures of the high priest. That you know their bonnets that mm-hmm. they have. Yep. Very similar. That is so, so. Once again, IDF Israel uses something right out of their own history. What's it called again? Mitznafet. 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 Okay. And what does that actually mean? It's um, a hoodie that's not a hat. A hoodie that's not a hat. A hoodie that's not a hat. I, I, don't you wish that's the way they would have Mitch interpreted Neffet. it in Exodus and Leviticus? Oh, the priest is wearing a hoodie. It's not a hat. That's you know? right. You like a warm hoodie, you uh, know? That's right. I love a warm. <laughs> all right. Well, I wanted to, because we see them all the time. If you watch any of the news uh, of what's going on in the war, you see those kind yes. of weird hats. Yep. And they do protect them, and it came right out of the temple, the high priest. Well, I want to turn to Daniel chapter 9, and I actually think that this uh, prayer is an amazing prayer it, it from is Daniel. amazing. Because I think it shows something, and I, I want to highlight this uh, for, the, for this episode, because it, it says something about what Daniel and the Jewish people understood about why they were in, um, why they were in uh, exile, at this time, the prayer is an amazing prayer. And, and before before you do it, Chris, chapter nine for many evangelicals, especially in our camp in eschatology, we're going to talk about the seventy weeks. We're not doing that this 
podcast, and we're going to do it. And most people, when they go to Daniel chapter 9, they talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel. It's it's almost every single time. In fact, if I confess truthfully, if somebody says Daniel chapter 9, that's the first thing that comes into my mind. And that's sad for me, mm-hmm. because what you are going to talk about, this, this prayer, actually is the most important part because he wouldn't have gotten any information about Daniel chapter nine, the 70th weeks, had he not done this first. That's exactly right. And it's it's almost a prayer of repentance that, that Daniel 100%. is praying on behalf of his people. But I think it says a lot about the people of, uh, you know, and, and what they thought, because I'll just say this. They were carried away. The Jewish people were carried away in, you know, between 605 and 586 BC from Jerusalem and the world that they understood on how to worship God in the temple. All of that was destroyed. And the Babylonians were the ones who destroyed it and upended their way of life and then carry them away into a land that they didn't know, and they end up in Babylon. And now they're in Babylon, and there were a lot of different groups of people that were in Babylon at that time. It wasn't just the Jewish people that were that were uprooted by Nebuchadnezzar. There were many groups of people that were upended by Nebuchadnezzar. And so when they get there, the difference about the Jewish people that always surprises me is that most people in, the, in, that, in that era, in that time, would have looked and said, well— Nebuchadnezzar's gods beat my God, and therefore I'll worship the Babylonian God, and my God is Bupkis because he was defeated by the gods of Babylon. Uh, And so there was a divine battle, and if your God lost— you know, what does your God have to do with this? The, it, Isaiah, it even mentions, you know, when, 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 um, when the Assyrian king was coming up against Hezekiah, he says, Hezekiah, well, don't, don't point to your God that you think you have all this confidence. He says, I've defeated a bunch of gods. Your God is bupkis. So and is, remember Dagon? Yeah, falls right over. Exactly. But here is an amazing thing. It's where it, the Jewish people, you think the Israelites might, or the Judites might have said, you know what? Our God lost, so let's just become Babylonian. But it actually, this moment strengthens them more because Daniel goes, you know what? The reason we're here, it's not because you lost. It's actually because you're alive and you told us this would happen. And that's what this prayer is all about because he's saying, we're sorry. We repent. It was our fault. Uh, do you want to add anything, Vered? I don't know if that's, uh, I know that's some history in there too from you. I don't want you to feel like you you don't have to, participate in this conversation my my take is that uh, it just shows to our days today when israel is being attacked badly brutally right now and we we are not lost and we will not be losing we just become stronger and tougher and we unite to face the next battle Mm. that's what makes us strong and Powerful is that the fact that there's only few of us does not ma- means anything in comparisons to others that are greater. That's a great word. The other thing that happened, Chris, is that Daniel was reading the Bible. A hundred percent. He was reading from Jeremiah, and un- not, unlike me, who's terrible in math, Daniel was very good in math, mm-hmm. and he was able to figure out that the 70 years that Jeremiah spoke about— uh, prophesied about that because the Jewish people were disobedient, there would be 70 years uh, that it w- they would be captive. And Daniel knew that the 70 years were coming to an end. It was about year 68, something around year 68. And he knew that it was not going to be long from now when they would be able to go back. Mm-hmm. And so, but it, even though he knew it was prophesied by God, you do have confession mm-hmm. confession repentance the most difficult thing for anybody to do but certainly for our people is to admit you're wrong to confess and to say i'm sorry mm. and daniel who was a righteous guy daniel he was the one in the lion's den daniel his friends were in the furnace daniel i want to keep kosher we follow his life uh, certainly you couldn't say about Daniel he compromised, but what did he do? He identified with his people. I want you to read part of his prayer, yeah. if he, you will. He says this. Um, this actually is coming uh, at the time of the first year of Darius, the son of Xerxes. 
so um, we're now in the uh, in the Persian Empire. But it says, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and, his, and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants and your the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We, our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord, our God, is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord, our God, or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel's transgressed your laws and turned away, refusing to obey you. And so, again, this prayer is a prayer of recognizing, and I love what you said, Steve, it's because Daniel read the Bible. Not only did he read Jeremiah to know about the 70 week, uh, the seventy years, but he also understood Leviticus chapter 26. He understood Deuteronomy chapter 28, where God talks about the blessings and the cursings. If you follow me, obey me, and keep my laws, I'm going to bless you till you can't be blessed anymore. I'm going to bless you going out. I'm going to bless you coming in. You're going to be overly blessed. But if you turn away from my commandments, if you turn away from my laws, then cursings will come. And actually, one of the cursings— You won't be the head, you'll be the tail. The tail. You won't be on top, you will be on the bottom. And it also mentions the fact that in that, there is um, uh, uh, the idea that they would be cursed and that they would be scattered. He actually uses the word here that we would be scattered. God would scatter us because we didn't remain obedient. But that doesn't mean God gives up on Israel. That's so important. You have to keep reading Deuteronomy 29— 30, 31, 32, God doesn't give up on his people. That's why he says, according to your covenant of love and those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. We've done wrong. We're turning to you because you've. God always promises if you turn to him and you repent, he will welcome you back with open arms by his grace. And so here again is this recognition, not that God is dead. This was an opportunity, I believe, as the Jewish people are in exile to go, God is dead. We, we were defeated, but they didn't. They actually said, no, God is more alive than ever. Everything he said in his law has come true. That's the reason we're here in Babylon, and that's the reason we're going to turn and repent. Well, Chris, I want, to, I want to take this practical and move it to today because I had the privilege, and you were the MC, but I had the privilege of being part of last Thursday of a project that was of our interns who had a international prayer time for Israel. It was remarkable. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what happened? And for me, so something terrible is happening in Israel. And Veretta's right. Israel, <coughs> sorry, Israel is going through difficulties, uh, and, the, uh, and the people have to unify. Uh, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133. Nope, no problem. What's interesting is that counterintuitive to the flesh is, wait a minute, let's pray. The way to solve this, the way to to get out of this is not in our own strength, but in the strength of Almighty God. And to have intercessors for you uh, on behalf of Israel, I've seen it happen in churches. I was just uh, speaking online on Zoom, and we were praying for Israel. I, they're in Yonkers, and I'm in Pennsylvania. <coughs> but Chris, the bottom line is your interns, uh, interns for Friends of Israel, uh, there are six of them, had a project that uh, did what? Tell yeah, us what it did. Our interns put together a Pray for Israel night, a night to pray for Israel. And that was recorded, right? That, that was recorded. They, I think people tell them how they could access. We'll that. put it up online, and they'll be able to. We'll, we'll share a link with everybody. But um, it was a great night of prayer. We had pastors praying. Um, we had our representatives from from uh, Israel actually stayed up till two thirty in the morning to pray and talk about what they were doing. One of our representative sons is in an elite force in Gaza right now. He's not heard from him in almost two months. Chris, that guy had a guy a youngster 
who was online with us, who's been discipled by him. Yeah. What and he testimony. prayed. He stayed up. He was 18 years old, and he stayed up till 2:30 in the morning. Um, but uh, in Israel, but people were praying. We had about 90 people logging on all around the world. It was amazing. I hope our listeners access it because even though it's on tape or recorded, I always say on tape. That shows how old I am. Uh, even though it's recorded, you could go online and listen to the various people who prayed. The pastor from Colorado was he from Col- no Canada, Canada from Ontario, yeah, from Ontario, Canada. Uh, and pray again. Those, prayer is good. It's not locked in time. Nope. You could hear the prayers of uh, those folks. It was a wonderful opportunity. Daniel was pr- he was identifying with his people. He, he he's Jewish. He's identifying with his people, and he's not grading his spirituality. We have sinned. Mm-hmm. We have turned our back. We have. We're the ones who have transgressed, and we are turning to you. Chris, those are great fundamentals of prayer, no matter uh, what time period you live in, if you fear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll end with this, and then we'll turn to the news. But in verse 15, it says in chapter 9, Now, Lord our God, this is Daniel speaking, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on the on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive. Chris, I'm going to ask you to do something that, uh, well, we don't script anything. <laughs> there, no. There's nothing that's pre-planned. Yep. But in light of Daniel's prayer, and we're going to talk about that with our Yiddish word of the day, but I'm going to ask you to pray, have a special time of prayer. Anybody who's listening, I don't know if there's one or two people on, online listening, why don't you pray for the current situation, and not just for the soldiers, which we want their safety, we want a soon end to the war, but but pray that folks would hear the good news, mm. the good news that is brought even in the midst of war. You know, David wrote many of his psalms while he was either at war, his son was looking for him, Saul was looking for him, in the midst of terrible difficulty— Worshiping God and coming to him is a wise thing to do. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for this time. Number one, thank you that Verette is with us and that she's able to share her insights as to what's going on and all of her expertise, Lord. And we think of her as she is going around into various churches and and sharing the truth of what's going on in Israel right now. So, Lord, we pray that you be with her. Father, we think of the Israelis, especially those in leadership and those in the army who have to make difficult decisions, uh, decisions of wisdom on how to move forward uh, in Gaza. And so, Lord, we pray for them. We pray for the soldiers Uh, And, Lord, we think of uh, all the various people who are continuing to help Israel during this time, Christians who are praying all around the world. But, Lord, uh, as we thought about the Shamish candle, the the servant candle, Lord, on the Hanukkah, Lord, I pray that you would allow your light to shine through your servants, Lord, that are ministering even right now, and that the truth of your word, the good news of the Messiah Jesus will go forward uh, as we continue to serve you, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, let's go to the news, Chris. That's right. We're running out of time here. Uh, first of all, I thought this was funny, Verrett. I th- we highlighted this with you, and <laughs> you rolled your eyes. But the Vice President Vice President <laughs> Harris's, Kamala Harris's husband, who is the second, how do you say that first? Second man. Second man. Okay. He's so, the second man. He's the second man, Douglas Emhoff. Uh, botches the Hanukkah story on social media right, during a, a nice celebration. Word. That's saying it nicely. Uh, no, oh, I'm, I'm reading it right from our news transcript here. Botches the Hanukkah story on social media during a celebration of a major Jewish holiday. Steve, why don't you tell him? 
let's let's talk about the two stories and compare them. So I'll I'll share what the Maccabees teaches. Okay, Maccabees teaches that uh, that Antiochus Epiphanes comes in, defiles the temple, and then uh, Mattathias and his sons come through and they push back the Greek em- the Greek Empire, the Greek uh, uh, um, uh, the Greek soldiers. They recapture Jerusalem and uh, they rededicate, rededicate yep. the temple. And then in rededicating the temple, they go to light the menorah up. There's not enough oil to keep the menorah lit um, for, but for more than one day. But the menorah st- uh, stayed lit for eight days with one day's worth of oil. And that is the story of Israel regaining its independence, its sovereignty, and celebrating an amazing moment thanks to the way that God not only protected the people but uh, provided for them. 100%. And so what does he say? They're in a cave. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I'm not reading it directly, but I'm not making it up. They're in a cave hiding, and they uh, are hiding from the Seleucids who are there, and they light their menorah, and it lasts for eight days. Uh, that's that's the story that this, you know what, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Shanda. We've used that Yiddish word, Chris. It's a Shanda that one of our own would who is in such a public place. I'm here to tell... I'm the Jewish Doesn't guy. Doesn't he have a guy that could write these uh, things for him? Couldn't or? he just take a moment to read a book? <laughs> couldn't he go to Wikipedia and copy and Look, paste or not something? Not every Jewish person was raised with Jewish things. That's fair enough. But if you don't know... So, and somebody ought to tell you he needs some help here. The worst thing you could say, as we just heard Verrett say... We get stronger when there's adversity. Israelis come together. We're not, the the state of Israel, we are not going to be like sheep again. The Holocaust never again. So what does he say? Oh, yeah, we're holed up in a cave. (laughs) (laughs) When when Vered read it, she said, why would they light a menorah in the cave? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. What do you say, Vered? Well, we need a good laugh, and he gave us a good, good laugh. Well, I did think this. I said Wikipedia, but I, I, in the article it says this. Um, somebody, who is this? Jason Bedrick, a research fellow for the Heritage Foundation. He writes this. I'm really hoping the second gentleman left this to some hapless, uneducated intern who couldn't be bothered to even consult Wikipedia, eight days of hiding. Yikes, man. That's what he, he could have gone to my six year old grandson who could have told him. Hi, Vase Mir. It's right. such a Shonda. Such a Shonda. Uh, Vered, I'd like you to comment on this because uh, this news came through that Netanyahu is considering allowing um, Palestinian workers back into Israel despite uh, security concerns. And they are security concerns. You know, as you had even mentioned, uh, I, I mean, the day, the, the a couple of days after the actual event on October 7th, you're driving in a bus and the tension is there um, between the Palestinian bus driver and you. Can you share your thoughts on this, uh, if this is the direction uh, Netanyahu is going? Okay, so first of all, I did not see that in the Israeli media that I'm looking, so I don't know how accurate this is yes and um what this is what i'm thinking it's not even about the relationship on a bus this is something totally different because when before the war just from gaza strip ninety thousand palestinians came to work in israel all those um communities that they've rated later on is where um palestinians were working in so when they crossed to work in israel whether from Judea and Samaria, or wherever they're coming from, they have to be checked to see that they're not hiding any explosive or parts of explosive or anything that can harm Israel. But now, is Israeli has, because of 7 of October, has this fear in them. For instance, I'll tell you, smallest story, I had a gas guy coming to fix my gas, and he came with his 8 years old daughter. And he says that before he came to me, he, he went to a building in Rishon LeZion. And when he was going to uh, get into the elevator, there was two Israeli women in the elevator. And because he has dark complexion, the two ladies in the elevator says, oh, we don't want to go in the elevator with this guy. It does a fear now in Israel. So you allow Palestinian in before this situation is resolved in any way. 
there is a fear that it will allow terrorists into the country. Mm-hmm. So instead of building the sense of security, you are making it a smaller. But here is the thing. So many people um, are out of work because they're in the army. So what are you going to do? You're going to replace them with Palestinian by bringing them to work? Mm-hmm. So it sounds a little strange to me. I, I don't know. I need to research into that a little bit more because... No, I, I appreciate you saying that. It, it, it is interesting. And, it, you know, you were even mentioning, you know, why why would Netanyahu do this earlier on before we went live with the show? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it is, it's, it's interesting to me how the West... Uh, especially the United States and this current administration, they really want to force Israel back into this the way th- status quo, the thing, the way things were before. Instead of understanding that October seventh is a pivotal moment in the way that the Israelis are going to relate with Hamas or maybe even the Palestinian Authority, any any terrorists going <laughs> forward, uh, it's almost as if they want to say, "Oh no, no, no." You know, we can get back to where we were before, which it can never go back. Absolutely not. There's no way you can go back because it just, this conflict shows the difference. You can't have peace with somebody that wants to kill you. Yeah. You have to speak in the same language to talk about peace. If you're talking two different languages, and this is what I see in my lectures here, that Americans don't understand what a war is. Mm-hmm. It's not a movie that you turn off at the end of the evening and go to bed. You go to bed with it, you wake up with it in the morning, and the situation does not change. Mm. You can't go back to what was before because that's not the situation anymore. It's totally different. And Americans or Canadians, North Americans, don't understand that you cannot She's go right, back. She's right, 100%. Yeah, you, we live so far away from any conflict. Uh, conflict is always on the other side of the world. Your conflict is the size of New Jersey, which means, and I try to remind Americans of this too, that when we're talking about a war in Gaza, uh, it's the equivalent of uh, us and what's going on, you know, in South Jersey down in Cape May, which is an hour and a half from here. Uh, that's, you know, when those <coughs> parents are, their kids have been abducted and held hostage. It's not like they're prisoners of war or, or abducted over in, in Iraq or Iran or wherever. They're just an hour away for some of them. They're, some of them, you know, are still in the South, very close. They're this far away from their family. They don't realize it's hard for the American psyche to get wrapped their, their mind wrapped around conflict and distance where you live with it every single day. Chris, it's hard for some Israelis. We talked about this last week. The Some of the kibbutzim that were attacked, the people's worldview is very progressive, very liberal. They were very sympathetic. And I, I think that's a, a noble thing. They're very sympathetic to the Palestinians, and they were working. They were coming over the border, and they were working. And I told you that the leaders of the attack who were directing them, Vered knows this, who were directing them, that, oh, this, room, this house has five rooms, and there's this, 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 and this. How did they change? In the front of uh, Kibbutz, I saw a picture of it, in front of Kibbutz Berry, in Hebrew, is written, beware of the Anakim. Mm. That comes right out of Deuteronomy, which means that these very progressive, sympathetic folks to the plight of the people in Gaza has changed dramatically after they were butchered and beaten and bruised in every possible way, not just physically, emotionally, and their worldviews, their psyche has been changed. Mm. It is a game changer, and you will find that there are some people who were so sympathetic before will never go down that road. We we have to remember the 130 hostages that are still being held, some of them very little and some of them very old. Mm. It's, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, why are we even talking about doing all of that before the hostages are back? Why are the United Nations condoning Israel without demanding Hamas bring back those people. It's a good Why question. are we to go back to anywhere when our people is still there? Why are we to be compassionate to the Palestinian when those hostages were walked through the street of Gaza and they were spitting at them mm-hmm. and beating them up? I have my friend Tal, she lives in kibbutz near Oz, the kibbutz that fourth of it is either dead or, or kidnapped. She, she called me after my first lecture and she says, 
I hope you did not say even one nice word about the Palestinians, mm. because they don't deserve it. It's not just that they lost the sense of security to go back and live there. It's that their neighbor betrayed them. It's like somebody's going to invade your home and burn your house, and your neighbor, instead of coming to help you, go see what they can steal from your home. Mm. Mm. It's, it's tough. It's very you, tough. There's no going back to... October 6th. You know, um, I just wrote an editorial on, because something I've been hearing a lot is uh, pro-Palestinian protesters in the streets saying things like, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Have you ever heard that before? And you know, it made me, I was thinking about that phrase over and over again, and what came to my mind is, I've never met a group of people who have to be considered freedom fighters when the the opposing, their enemy have offered them freedom and independence over and over and over again. What are you freedom fighting for? Since 1947, they wanted to be your neighbors. You know, the whole partition plan was two states. Uh, the idea of returning land for peace was uh, uh, an anticipation of giving them a place to have freedom and independence. Uh, the Oslo Accords were freedom and independence. Returning the land in 2000 or giving the land, giving the land in 2000 and 2008 uh, to the Palestinians to develop a state was them giving them freedom. 2005, they unilaterally, unilaterally turned over the Gaza to the Palestinians. Freedom and independence. And yet what happens? They What do you need freedom fighters for? They're handing it to you. You just keep saying, no, thank you. They're terrorists. That's what they are. From terrorists. the river to the sea. That's all you have to know. That's what they that's what they want. They want no Israel. Mm -hmm. Not unlike how we started when Simon Maccabee said it's our land. Yes, exactly. Period. Hey, listen, um, I want to get in our Yiddish word. Our Yiddish word, uh, which is a very exciting, fun word, especially in light of our prayer, Daniel's prayer. Um, Steve, go ahead. You well, are the first, one who came for over those that. who can see me, can they see me? They Am can I? see you, yes. All right. I'm going to show it first, and then I'm going to say it. Okay, look at him go. That's right. <laughs> Davening. You are davening The there. Yiddish word is davening, which means in Yiddish, prayer. To Daniel pray. prayed. Chris prayed. We pray for Vered. I hope you'll pray for Vered and for the people of Israel. We're so thankful that Vered could be here with us. Uh, it's just exciting to me. It's an exciting time. So davening is the word, Davening Steve. is the word. All right. Well, everybody, get to davening. And hey, listen, thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Tomorrow's thank you, a big day. Thank you. Tomorrow's a big day. Tomorrow is a big day. Hey, listen, go to foiequip.org. Don't Bethlehem. forget. Bethlehem. That's right. We're going to be looking at the significance of Bethlehem. Be sure to go to foiequip.org so that you can register for our class. Also, we didn't get a chance to mention this, but uh, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. So get over there. You can sign up for classes uh, that are ending this year with our Bethlehem class. And then also, we've got all of our classes out through April, Steve. Aye, you can aye. register for them right now by going to foiequip.org. Hey, everybody. Have a good one, and we'll see you next week.